Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. This time, making a traditionally female institution a bit more diverse. We want to make sure that men who might be applying for our jobs understand that we are an equal opportunity employer, and this is a very good place to be a man. But it is still a women's college with feminist ideals, ideals that don't always triumph in the workplace. Barnard really created such a strong sense of self-worth, but it left it up to us and up to me how to translate that sense of self-worth into actual behavior once you start working full-time. Coming up, the merits of a single-sex college education and how that prepares women for work. Barnard College sits just across the street from Columbia University on Manhattan's Upper West Side. It was founded in 1889 to give women access to the same kind of liberal arts education that was already available to men. America used to have lots of women's colleges before higher education became mixed. According to the Women's College Coalition, back in 1960, there were 230 women's colleges. Today, there are just over 40. But Barnard is in demand. Last year, it got more than six times as many applications as it had places. Deborah Spar is the president of Barnard. She's been at the helm since 2008. Before that, she was a professor at Harvard Business School. You had this illustrious career at a famous institution, Harvard Business School, which we know is mostly male, and there's been a lot of coverage of that recently. And then you came here to one of the most famous women's colleges in the U.S. What was that like? What was that transition like? It must have felt different. Well, I I always joke that I underwent a hormonal transformation when I moved from Harvard to to Barnard. And I say it jokingly, but I I actually mean it uh, quite seriously, that at least in my my own personal experience, being at a place that is run by and dominated by men is fundamentally different from being at a place that's run by and, and dominated by women. And it's not better or worse, but it's, but it's quite different. Things at, at Harvard Business School, and I think in male-dominated uh, places generally, they're quite frontal. People are comfortable with conflict. People are quite comfortable at saying that was stupid or that's a bad idea or, God, I, I disagree with you. And generally, they move on from that. It, the, the, the attacks are, are loud, but they're short and they're generally forgotten by the next day. Whereas at, at Barnard, and I, again, I think women-dominated places more generally, people are less comfortable with conflict. Very few instances of, a fr- as I would call it, a frontal stabbing. Uh, but people are more likely to sort of paper over their disagreements. Things tend to simmer a little bit more. Old wounds tend to stay, they fester, exactly, they stay around longer. And, and it's a different management style. And uh, to jump to a conclusion, you know, I, I come away from this dual experience even more firmly convinced than I was at the outset that diversity is a really good thing. It's not that you want 
places to be run just by women any more than you want them to be run just by men, but that you really want to create an environment that has men and women of different ages, different ethnicities, different preferences, so that you actually do get that that mix and you get some of the you know the, the good parts of, of all the different components. What what is the makeup here? I mean you joked at the last conference I went to, I think you sort of jokingly said, Oh, we need more men here or something, but what is the makeup? Well I have worked to get more men here. Now on the student side of course we're all female. On the faculty side we're about fifty fifty. On the staff side, two of my senior staff members are now male. They are in the minority. They're two out of about nine. So, in fact, it's a flip of what I had experienced in my old life, where it's generally, you know, two women in a, in a room of eight, you know, eight men. We don't only hire men, of course, but we want to make sure that men who might be applying for our jobs understand that we are an equal opportunity employer, and this is a very good place to be a man. Although, if you're a man here, you have to get used to being a female environment. And again, the sort of the bad joke I use is, you know, the chit chat before a meeting will be about hairstyles and handbags from time to time. And if you're the only guy in the room, that's awkward. Just as it's often awkward, or I'll, I'll personalize it, in my, my old life, I was always awkward when people were talking about Australian rules rugby, because I know nothing about that. But you just get, you know, you get used to sort of different kinds of chit-chat. And I, and I think it's, there's some benefit in seeing that, but there's more benefit in getting the diversity, so everybody feels comfortable with the chit-chat. The other place where we've, we've brought men in is on the board level. Historically, the Barnard board was mostly composed of alumni who by definition were women. So we now have a number of dads, we have a number of husbands of alums, uh, we have a number of men who are just interested in, in women's leadership, and that's been a really good thing. She says another good thing about having more men around, men still have most of the influence in the corporate world. So the more of them you involve, the more doors you can open for your female alumni. And she says there's something else. We also, and one has to, I would have to be careful here not to go too much into gender stereotypes, but I think in general, men are more comfortable than women are talking about money. And in areas like fundraising, it's actually very helpful to have, have a bit of a macho attitude in the room sometimes, whereas, you know, a woman might tend to say, you know, this is really important, we all need to think about this. I remember one meeting in particular when, when a male stood up and he said, okay, enough talk. Here's how much money I'm going to give. I want everybody to open their checkbooks now. It's not that a woman would never say those words, but they're words more commonly attributed to men. And sticking to stereotypes for a minute, more commonly attributed to women is the idea that they don't support each other. We talked about this in detail on the last show. Deborah Spar says no, women don't always treat each other well. But... I think there are some problems in how the issue is, is framed. Uh, I think we expect women to be more supportive. And, and perhaps that's just an unfair expectation. I remember a junior colleague of mine, a male colleague of mine, saying to me some, some many years ago, you know, how come you're not more nurturing to the other junior people in the organization? And I got quite angry. This was someone I was very fond of, had in fact hired and promoted. I said, what do you mean I'm not nurturing? You know, I hired you, I promoted you. He said, yes, but you know, I don't spend a lot of time telling you my troubles. And I said, well, do you spend lots of time telling your troubles to you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry? And of course not. So I think there's, a, there's an additional expectation on women that we will be nurturing and supportive and provide a shoulder to cry on, even when that's actually not in our job description. And that can skew men's and women's views of female authority figures or colleagues who aren't warm and fuzzy. President Spar says, and of course she would, that at Barnard all the students are supportive of one another. 
She says during the course of their four years there, they make fast friendships and they learn how to stand up for themselves without deferring to anyone. I think there's something that occurs, some benefit that occurs from spending these, these four very precious years in an environment where the social life is really quite separate from the academic life. Now, we have boys everywhere because we have so many Columbia students, but I think our, our, our young women are, get more opportunities to sit in a math class or, or a statistics class or any class, really, and focus on the material, focus on the reaction to the material, focus on developing their own brains without constantly worrying about, ooh, you know, the guy next to me, do I, you know, do I sound like a girl if I say this? Do I sound like a girl if I don't put my hand up? If I do put my hand up, they, they get rid of those inv- invisible little uh, bubbles that so many women still have inside their heads all the time. Ashley Pope can attest to that. She graduated from Barnard in 2007. She wasn't specifically seeking a women's college at 17 or 18, but she's glad she went to one. Barnard gave me four years to essentially find myself, gain the confidence I needed, because, you know, how many 18-year-old girls, women are so confident in their abilities and just speaking for themselves, advocating for themselves that they could go out and succeed in the workplace right then. I know I wasn't ready to. (laughs) So Barnard gave me the time and the support I needed for that. She says she was shy and withdrawn when she got there, and she changed a lot during those years. She says her experience at college gave her something else, the ability to take criticism. Did I take it perfectly? No. <laughs> but I, you know, I learned how to take criticism. I didn't know how to take criticism before I went to Barnard. You know, and especially I think being a woman going out into the workplace, you have to know how to take criticism and not take it personally. And, you know, in just speaking for myself, not cry, <laughs> you know, if you feel like you're getting in trouble. She needs a tough hide now she's a lawyer in New York City, although she says so far she hasn't come up against any gender issues at work. I wondered whether an alumni network of women was as useful as a mixed network might have been, but Ashley has no complaints. It's a good network of women, and especially the older generations, you know, those were the colleges that women went to. So when you look at, you know, some of the older women who are CEOs or successful politicians, a fair number of them went to a women's college. Hillary Clinton went to Wellesley, and she is in the running for the most powerful position in the world. So I want to say two things here. First, this episode of The Broad Experience is brought to you by Foreign Affairs, Foreign Affairs is a nonpartisan magazine. They publish thoughtful pieces by experts who span the political spectrum, so they allow readers to form their own opinions about today's most important global issues. And let's face it, there is a lot going on in the world at the moment. Broad Experience listeners get a special discount, more than three quarters off a subscription to Foreign Affairs. To sign up, go to foreignaffairs.com broad. Second, if you get something out of the show, please go and post a review on iTunes. I know I say this a lot, but usually it's at the end when maybe you're not paying as much attention. But these reviews are hugely helpful in bringing the show to more people's attention. So press pause, do it, and come back. Thank you.
Jamie Buck Tomek attended Smith College in Massachusetts. She graduated in the early 2000s. She'd been to a technical college for a year before Smith, and that was full of men. Being at a women's college, looking around at her classmates, she felt inspired. Being in the classes, people were very supportive. There wasn't a lot of the the talking over each other, which I know is a common refrain about co-ed classes. So it really changed my perspective on what was normal. And what it was reasonable for her to do with her life. She's pretty much always worked in a tech role. And you know what she said about her classmates being supportive? I wanted to hear more about that. I didn't go to a women's college, but I did go to an all-girls school in London until I was 18. And I have great friends from those days. But supportive is not a word I associate with many of the girls there. There were cliques, bitchiness and bullying by an active minority. And even when all that died down, I couldn't wait to get out into a co-ed world. But Jamie's experience at college was very different. A lot of the student body at Smith was almost counterculture in a way. Um, And that was actually not only supported, but encouraged. You know, there was a lot of time and activities spent on what might be considered different minority groups. And it is what you think. You know, there are a lot of gay women that end up going to all women's colleges. And I think with that, they likely did not have such a welcoming environment where they were. And then Smith became a very welcoming environment. And it became very welcoming to anybody who was different. One, it attracted, you know, people that were, you know, probably generally nice, but it also encouraged people to work together. You know, there's a lot of events like about sisterhood and and such, so they, they wanted it to be a community. In a real, we're all learning what it is to be women together kind of way. She loved it. But one thing she wishes she'd learned more about back then, how the workplace actually works. I mean, I'm pretty sure that even my first job, you know, I got paid less than a male counterpart. I obviously don't have any truth to that, but just from the sense I got of what other people were making, you know, they kind of got me for a steal (laughs) Uh, and I didn't know. I think maybe part of it was if you're in an all-women's college and you're not facing those kinds of issues, you probably aren't prepared for that. And you may think that, oh, this is this is great. You know, everybody's nice. Everybody's supportive. Everybody wants me to be a powerful woman, <laughs> you know, because that's what you've experienced. And and the people that you that we would go see if we were to see alumni, it was always very positive about their role in the company. I, it, there wasn't a lot, at least to the events I went to, about the struggles that they had. And so I think they wanted people to be confident that they could go out there, but uh, maybe at the same time, we just weren't aware that we might still be facing some of those very common problems about, you know, negotiating salary or advancing. Smith's Director of Career Development told me last week that these days, Smith offers salary negotiation workshops and workshops about living on a budget. She says they're both popular. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Unlike Jamie, Michelle Fan was aware of what she might be up against once she started working or at least partly aware. She graduated from Barnard in 2009 and now works in London for a branding company. She says Barnard inculcated in her the idea that she could do anything, that what she thought had merit, and that she needed to speak her mind. But once she started working, things got more complicated. It was harder to figure out on my own how to apply this belief that my thoughts were important to the workplace. So for instance, when I was first negotiating my salary at my at my current company, I really was was hyper aware, not just through what I learned at Barnard, but also through articles that I read and through what friends and professional allies and mentors had been telling me that women ask for less money. So I tried to be as assertive as possible about asking for what I believed I wanted for my salary and and to try to aim higher and not to be too uh, modest in terms of what I was asking for. The problem was, with all she knew about the fact she should negotiate, she didn't really know how to do the delicate dance a negotiation can require, especially if you're female. So I think in one of these conversations, in the initial conversations, I think I came across as quite rude and quite demanding because because I was very demanding and adamant about not underestimating what I could make and shooting as high as possible. Things turned out okay. She wasn't totally rebuffed. But looking back, she wishes she'd channeled her assertiveness a bit differently. Then there was the sexual comment a colleague made on her first day at work. Not about her, but again, her feminist education hadn't quite prepared her for how to respond. He was in his 40s and they were discussing X Factor, the reality show. He brought up a female singer he thought was hot. And how he'd like to, it's just something really vulgar, but and um, maybe you'll have to edit this out but something about like how he'd like to take a shot into her or something just like something really not appropriate and I didn't think that this was a pattern in that workplace in particular but um, that comment really struck me and I thought it was really really rude at the same time I didn't feel that I had the skills um, especially looking at that situation in retrospect what you know I don't know what I could have done to kind of stick up for myself better. So in the end of it, I I didn't end up saying anything, even though I thought that it was completely inappropriate that he would say something like that. We could probably do a whole show just on the best ways to respond to sexist comments at work. But Michelle was brand new in the job. She hadn't been working in London that long. And she thought, well, maybe this is just the culture here. Like so many other women through the decades, she didn't want to make a fuss. Still, the whole episode was confusing. Barnard really created such a strong sense of self-worth, but it left it up to us and up to me how to translate that sense of self-worth into actual behavior once you start working full-time. And she mentioned culture just now. Michelle was born in China, mostly raised in America, now living in England. And one thing the British do a lot 
is apologise. That's something Michelle and her class at Barnard were taught not to do, emphatically, that too many women apologise over nothing, that it undermines your authority, be assertive, they were told. Then she started working in the land of Hugh Grant. So if you go into a culture where apologizing is so embedded into politeness and how people um, speak to one another, and, and there are so many nuanced meanings to the word sorry, if I've been taught not to apologize and to be super assertive, how, how do I behave in this new environment? She's only been in London a year and a half, but she's mustered up a few tactics. So far, what I've just been doing is not apologizing, but trying to be as considerate and polite as possible. It still feels kind of weird because sorry is very much a part of the sort of English lingo. Um, and I do want to participate in that. But, uh, you know, there's now there's this tension between that. I don't want to apologize because I want to say what I need and and ask for what I need without communicating guilt. But on the other hand, I think this is just another example of how maybe it would have been helpful and it would be helpful now even to have more examples of how to basically translate these ideals about the equality between men and women into reality and into a world and a life where uh, you don't see that equality played out in a lot of circumstances. Homework for colleges, perhaps. And speaking of equality, when I was with Deborah Spar, the president of Barnard, we got onto the topic of men's and women's behaviour in the office. I mentioned an email I got from a listener. She talked about a time she was with a female supervisor. When that woman suddenly bent down to adjust her stocking, she joked that as there were two girls together, it was okay. But my listener thought it was unprofessional. Deborah Spar agrees. I'm pretty hardcore about this. I think we all need to separate our, our emotional lives from our work lives. I've been quoted uh, harshly, but I still stand by the quote, I, you know, don't cry in the office. Don't put your stockings on in, in full view. I, you know, I don't care who's in the room. Your work life is not your personal life. You know, of course, that doesn't mean that you can't share celebrations or, you know, God forbid, tragedies with your co-workers. But our work lives are not our personal lives. Well, what if something at work is making you cry? Go to the ladies' room. You know, wait till you get home. Um, I, I just don't think the, wor the work environment demands crying. It, you know, it just shouldn't. You know, it doesn't mean that you won't feel like it from time to time, but, but keep, it, keep it out of your professional life. And I say that to both men and women, but I, but I think women are a little bit more prone to thinking it's okay. Um, well, but we're, and we're also more prone to cry because for, for um, physiological right, reasons, actually. Right. So that's why I think it's a bit unfair on us because if we do well up in a work situation, people are rolling their eyes. Yeah, but and I, think there, I think there's an analog to it. You know, men, don't lose your tempers at work. You know, I don't care how angry you get. It's, work is not an environment for screaming. You know, keep your temper. You know, don't, don't, don't tell sexual jokes. They don't belong in the workplace. So I think there are different things I would push out of the workplace for men and women, but, but I think there's a list that applies to, to everybody. You know, there are certain behaviors that don't belong in the workplace. They're not professional. Deborah Spar, thanks so much to her and my other guests for appearing in this episode. Now, last year, I did a whole show on emotions at the office. You can find it in the archives. It was number 36. People do have quite different opinions on that topic of crying at work. And don't forget to check out my sponsor, especially if you're a news junkie. They're at foreignaffairs.com broad. You'll get a huge discount on a year's subscription by going to that web address. 
And I want to recommend an episode of another podcast a listener told me about on Twitter. It's the Freakonomics podcast. And the episode I loved recently is the one where host Stephen Dubner interviewed Harvard President Drew Gilpin Faust. She went to an all-women's college herself, Bryn Mawr. She now runs one of the most famous educational institutions in the world. It's a great listen. And of course, if you had an all-female education, I'd love to hear from you. Actually, it doesn't matter what kind of education you had. I would still love to hear from you. You can post a comment under this episode at thebroadexperience.com or on the show's Facebook page. And for those of you who were incensed by some of the comments in my last show about the innate characteristics of men and women, I do plan to tackle this topic with a neuroscientist in a future show, hopefully before the end of this year. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.